We're going to pick up where we left off on page 28 with Fahrenheit 451. Um, last time we read yesterday, we had the part where um, Millie's woken up and we've learned about her, um, what she's kind of like. We've seen her wanting the TV, extra TV on her wall. Um, we have her arguing about that. And then uh, we have see him go to work and the mechanical hound kind of recognize that he's there. So very interesting things going on. Also, we met Captain Beatty, who seems to be suspicious. A little sus there. Um, so, all right, we're on page 28 where it says one, two, three. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven days. And as many times he came out of the house and Clarice was there somewhere in the world. Once he saw her shaking a walnut tree. Once he saw her sitting on the lawn knitting a blue sweater. Three or four times he found a bouquet of late flowers on his porch or a handful of chestnuts in, his, in a little sack or some autumn leaves neatly pinned to a sheet of white paper and thumbtacked to his door. Every day Clarice walked him to the corner. One day he, it was raining. The next it was clear. The day after that the wind blew strong. And the day after that it was mild and calm. And the day after that, was, that calm day was a day like the furnace of summer and Clarice with her face all sunburnt by late afternoon. Why is it, he said one time at the subway entrance, I feel like I've known you so many years. Because I like you, she said, and I don't want anything from you, and because we know each other. You make me feel very old and very much like a father. Now you explain, she said, why haven't you any daughters like me if you love children so much? Oh, I don't know. You're joking. I mean, he stopped and shook his head. Well, my wife, she, she just never wanted any children at all. The girl stopped smiling. I'm sorry. I really thought you were having fun at my expense. Oh, I'm a fool. No, no, he said. It was a good question. It's been a long time since anyone cared enough to ask. A good question. Let's talk about something else. Have you ever smelled old leaves? Don't they smell like cinnamon? Here, smell. Why, yes, it is like cinnamon in a way. She looked at him with her clear, dark eyes. You always seem shocked. I just have, I haven't had time. Do you look at the stretched out billboards like I told you? I think so, yes, he had to laugh. Your laugh sounds much nicer than it did. Does it? Much more relaxed. He felt at ease and comfortable. Why aren't you in school? I see you every day wandering around. Oh, they don't miss me, she said. I'm antisocial, they say. I don't mix. It's so strange. I'm very social indeed. It all depends on what you mean by social, doesn't it? Social to me means talking to you about things like this. She rattled some chestnuts that had fallen off the tree in the front yard. We're talking about how strange the world is. Being with people is nice, but I don't think it's social to get a bunch of people together and then not let them talk, do you? An hour of TV class, an hour of basketball or baseball or running, another hour of transcription history or painting pictures and more sports. But do you know, we never ask questions, or at least most don't. They just run the answers at you, bing, 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 and us sitting there for four or more hours of film teacher. That's not social to me at all. It's a lot of funnels and a lot of water poured down the spout and out the bottom, and them telling us it's wine when it's not. They run us so ragged by the end of the day we can't do anything but go to bed or head for a fun park to bully people around. 
break window panes in the window smasher place or wreck cars in the car wrecker place with the big steel ball or go out to the cars in the cars and race on the streets trying to see how close you can get to the lamppost playing chicken and knock hubcaps i guess i'm everything they say i am all right i haven't any friends that's supposed to prove i'm abnormal but everyone i know is either shouting or dancing around like wild or beating up one another do you notice how people hurt each other nowadays this is interesting clarice's expression or ex they're talking about school this is the question about the teens and what the teens like in this uh in this world or asked you early in the, in the book um she's talking about her school she talks about the different kinds of classes they have they've got film basketball baseball and sports tv class it is a little different from what we have now um but they work so hard during the day that when they're done, all they want to do is basically be violent, go out and wreck a car or go to a fun park and bully people or um, race and see what happens um, in cars. We do things like this, maybe not physically, but a lot of us go home and the first thing you want to do is play video games. Like I've told you before, I'm, I'm guilty of, of doing that. I want to come home sometimes and just blow some things up on, online, you know. Um, I think we do the same thing. He called it again. You sound so very old. <laughs> Sometimes I'm ancient. I'm afraid of children my old age. They kill each other. Did it always used to be that way? My uncle says no. Six of my friends have been shot in the last year alone. Ten of them died in car wrecks. I'm afraid of them, and they don't like me because I'm afraid. My uncle says his girlfriend remembered when children didn't kill each other. But that was a long time ago when they had enough when they had things different. They believed in responsibility, my uncle says. Do you know I'm responsible? I was spanked when I was when I needed it years ago, and I did all the do all the shopping and house cleaning by hand. But most of all, she said, I like to watch people. Sometimes I ride the subway all day and look at them and listen to them. I just want to figure out who they are and what they want and where they're going. Sometimes I even go to the fun park and ride the in the jet cars when they race on the edge of the town midnight, and the police don't even care as long as they're insured, and as long as everyone has ten thousand insurance. Everyone's happy. Sometimes I sneak around and listen in subways. Or I listen at soda fountains. And do you know what? What? People don't talk about anything. Oh, they must. No, not anything. They name a lot of cars or clothes or swimming pools mostly and say, how swell. But they all the time say the same things. And nobody says anything different from anyone else. And most of the time in the caves, they have the joke boxes on the on and the same jokes most of the time or the musical wall lit and the colored patterns running up and down but it's only color and all abstract and at the museums have you ever been all abstract that's all there is now my uncle says it was different once a long time it, time back people sometimes pictures and things or even said things or even showed people your uncle said your uncle said your uncle must be a remarkable man he is he most certainly is well <laughs> I gotta be going. Goodbye, Mr. Montag. Goodbye. Goodbye. Um, again, Clarice just kind of shaking things up here for Montag. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven days. The firehouse. Montag, you shin that pole like a bird up a tree. Third day. Montag, I seen you see you came in the back door this time the hound bother you no no fourth day montag a funny thing heard tell this morning if 
fireman in Seattle purposely set a mechanical hound to his own chemical complex and let it loose. What kind of suicide would you call that? Five, six, seven days. And then, Clarice was gone. He didn't know what there was about the afternoon, but it was not seeing her somehow, somewhere in the world. The lawn was empty, the trees empty, the street empty. And while at first he didn't, did not even know he missed her or was even looking at for her, the fact was that by the time he reached the subway, there, was vague, there were vague stirrings of disease in him. Something disease, dis-ease in him. Something was the matter. His routine had been disrupted. A simple routine, true, established in a short few days, and yet he almost turned back to make the walk again to give her time to appear. He was certain if he tried the same routine, everything would work out fine, but it was late, and the arrival of his train put a stop to his plan. So he, it's been another whole week, and he hasn't seen Clarice. This is just getting weird. The flutter of cards, motion of hands, of eyelids, the drone of the time voice in the firehouse ceiling. 135, Thursday morning, November 4th, 136, 137 a.m. The tick of the playing cards on the greasy tabletop. All the sounds that came to Montag behind his closed eyes, behind the barrier he had momentarily erected. He could feel the firehouse full of glitter and shine and silence, of brass colors, the colors of coins, of gold, of silver. The unseen men across the table were sighting on their cards, waiting. 1.45, the voice clock mourned out in the cold hour of a cold morning of a still colder year. What's wrong, Montag? Montag opened his eyes. A radio hum somewhere. War may be declared any hour. This country stands ready to defend its... The firehouse trembled as its great, a great flight of jet planes whistled a single note across the black morning sky. This is the second time we've heard about these bombers. Last time it was whenever Mildred was almost dead. Now here they are again, these jet planes just whizzing over. And now we hear this radio announcement that war could happen. Um, so you can kind of feel what kind of time period they're in here. Montag blinked. Beatty was looking at him as if he were a museum statue. At any moment, Beatty might rise and walk about him, touching, exploring his guilt and self-consciousness. Guilt? What guilt was that? Your play, Montag. Montag looked at these men whose faces were sunburned by a thousand real and ten thousand imaginary fires, whose work flushed their cheeks and fevered their eyes. These men who looked steadily into their platinum igniter flames as they lit their eternally burning black pipes. They in their charcoal hair and soot-colored brows and bluish ash-smeared cheeks where they had shaven so close, but their heritage showed. Montag sat up, his mouth opened. Had he ever seen a fireman that didn't have black hair, black brows, a fiery face, and a blue steel shave but unshaved look? These men were all mirror images of himself. Were all firemen picked then for their looks as well as their proclivities? The color of cinders and ash about them? And their continual smell of burning from their pipes? Captain Beatty there, rising in the thunderheads of tobacco smoke. Beatty opened a fresh tobacco packet, crumpling the cellophane into the sound of fire. Montag looked at the cards in his own hands. I, I've been thinking about the fire last week, about the man whose library we fixed. What happened to him? They took him screaming off to the asylum. He wasn't insane. Betty arranged his card, cards quietly. Any man's insane who thinks he can fool the government and us. I've tried to imagine, said Montag. Just how it would feel, I mean, to have firemen burn our houses and our books. We haven't any books if we did have some you got some Beatty blinked slowly no Montag gazed beyond them to the wall with the type list of millions of forbidden books 
their names leapt in fire, burning down the years under his axe and his hose, which sprayed not water but kerosene. No, but in his mind a cool wind started up and blew out of the ventilator grill at home, softly, softly chilling his face. This is the third or fourth mention of this ventilator now. I wonder what could possibly be there. And again he saw himself in a green park talking to an old man, a very old man, and the wind from the park was cold too. This is also the second mention of this old man. Montag hesitated. Was, was it always like this? The firehouse, our work, I mean? Well, once upon a time. <coughs> once upon a time, Beatty said. What kind of talk is that? Fool, thought Montag to himself. You gave it away. At, that last, at the last fire, a book of fairy tales, he'd glanced at a single line. I mean, he said, in the old days before homes were completely fireproofed. Suddenly, it seemed, a much younger voice was speaking for him. He opened his mouth, and it was Clarice McClellan saying, Didn't firemen prevent fires rather than stoke them up and get them going? Ha! That's rich! Stoneman and Black drew forth their rule books. These are two other firefighters, which also contain brief histories of the firemen of America, and laid them out where Montag, for, where Montag though long familiar with them, might read. Established 1790, to ink to burn English influence books in the colonies. First fireman, Benjamin Franklin. First fireman was Benjamin Franklin. Interesting. Rule number one, answer the alarm swiftly. Rule number two, start the fire swiftly. Rule number three, burn everything. Rule number four, report back to the firehouse immediately. Rule number five, stand alert for other alarms. Everyone was watching Montag. He did not move. The alarm sounded. The bell in the ceiling kicked off, kicked itself to 200 times. Suddenly, there were four empty chairs. The cards fell in a flurry of snow. The brass pole shivered. The men were gone. Montag sat in his chair below the orange dragon, coughed to life. Montag slid down the pole like a man in a dream. The mechanical hound leaped up in its kennel, its eyes all green flame. Montag, you forgot your helmet. He seized it off the wall behind him, ran, leapt, and they were off. The night wind hammering about, their siren scream, and their mighty metal thunder. All right, we're going to get to see our first fire now here in the book. It was a flaking three-story house in the ancient part of the city. A century old of it was a day. A century old if it was a day. But like all houses, it had been given a thin fireproof plastic sheath many years ago. And this preservative shell seemed to be only the only thing holding it in the sky. Here we are! The engine slammed to a stop. Beatty, Stoneman, and Black ran up the sidewalk, suddenly odious and fat in their plump fireproof slickers. Montag followed. They crashed the front door and grabbed at a woman. Though she was not running, she was not trying to escape. She was not. She was only standing, weaving from side to side, her eyes fixed upon the nothingness in the wall, as if they had st struck her a terrible blow upon the head. Her tongue was moving in her mouth, and her eyes seemed to be trying to remember something, and then they remembered, and her tongue moved again. Play the man, Mr. Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust that shall never be put out. Enough of that, said Beatty. Where are they? She's quoting books, and she's not supposed to be doing that. He slapped her face with amazing objectivity and repeated the question. The old woman's eyes came to focus on Beatty. You know where they are, or you wouldn't be here, she said. Stoneman held up the telephone alarm card with the complaint signed in the telephone duplicate on the back. Have reason to suspect attic. 11, number, no Elm City, EB. That would be Mrs. Blake, my neighbor, said the woman reading the initials. So her neighbor turned her in. All right, men, let's get them. 
Next thing, they were up in the musty blackness, swinging silver hatchets and doors that were, after all, unlocked, tumbling through like boys all rollick and shout. Hey! A fountain of books sprang down upon Montag as he climbed, shuddering up to the, sh- up to the sheer staircase. Sarewell, sorry. How inconvenient. Always before it had been like snuffing a candle. The police went first and adhesive taped the victim's mouth and banged, bandaged him off into their glittering beetle cars. So when you arrived, you found the empty house. You weren't hunting, hurting anyone. You were hurting only things. So usually in most fires, you know, like 99% of the time, the police officers come first and arrest the people that are, that are guilty. And then all the firemen have to do is come burn the books, but not this time. And so now he's got a face to this crime. And since things really couldn't be hurt, since things felt nothing and things don't scream or whimper as this woman might begin to scream and cry out, there was nothing to tease your conscience later. You were simply cleaning up. Janitorial work, essentially. Everything to its proper place. Quick with the kerosene. Who's got the match? But now, tonight, someone had slipped. This woman was was spoiling the ritual. The men were making too much noise, laughing, joking, to cover her terrible accusing silence below. She made the empty rooms roar with accusation and shake down a fine dust of guilt that was sucked in their nostrils as they plunged about. It was neither cricket nor correct. Montag felt an immense irritation. She shouldn't be here on top of everything. Books bombarded his shoulders, his arms, his upturned face. A book lit almost obedient like a white pigeon in his hands, wings fluttering. In the dim wavering light, a page hung open and it was like a snowy feather. The words delicately painted thereon. In all the rush and fervor, Montag had only an instant to read the line, but it blazed in his mind for the next minute as if it stamped there with fiery steel. Time has fallen asleep in the afternoon sunshine. He dropped the book immediately. Another one fell into his arms. Montag, up here! Montag's hand closed like a mouth, crushed the book with his wild devotion and intense insanity of mindlessness into his chest. The men above were hurling shovelfuls of magazines into the dusty air. They felt like slaughter bird. They felt like slaughtered birds, and the woman stood below like a small girl among the bodies. Montag had done nothing. His hand had done it all. His hand, with a brain of its own, with a conscience and curiosity in each trembling finger, had turned thief. Now it plunged the book back under its arm, pressed it tight to sweating armpit, rushed out empty with a magician's flourish. Look here, innocent, look. He gazed shaken at the white hand. He held it way out as if he were farsighted. He held it close as if he were blind. Uh, I don't know if you guys just realized what he did, but he just took a book. He's hidden a book under his shirt and under his arm. Montag! He jerked about. Don't stand there, idiot! The books lay like great mounds of fishes left to dry. The men danced and slipped and fell over them. The titles glittered, their golden eyes falling gone. Kerosene! They pumped the cold fluid from the numeral numeraled 451 tank strapped to their shoulders they coated each book they pumped down pumped rooms full of it they hurried downstairs montag staggering after them in kerosene in the kerosene fumes come on woman the woman knelt among the books touching the drenched leather and cardboard reading the gilt titles with her fingers while her eyes accused montag you can't ever have my books she said you know the law said Beatty. where's your common sense None of those books agree with each other. You've been locked up here for years with the regular damn Tower of Babel. Snap out of it. The people in those books never live. Come on now. She shook her head. The whole house is going up, said Beatty. The men walked clumsily to the door. They glanced back at at Montag, who stood near the woman. 
You're not leaving her here, he protested. She won't come. Force her then. Beatty raised his hand in which was concealed the igniter. We're due back at the house. Besides, these fanatics always try suicide. The pattern's familiar. Montag placed his hand on the woman's elbow. You can come with me. No, she said. Thank you anyway. I'm counting to ten, said Beatty. One, two. Please, said Montag. Go on, said the woman. Three, four. Here, Montag pulled at the woman. The woman replied quickly, quietly. I want to stay here. Five, six, you can stop counting, she said. She opened the fingers of one hand slightly, and in the palm of her hand was a single slender object, an ordinary kitchen match. The sight of it rushed the men out and down and away from the house. Captain Beatty, kept his di keeping his dignity, back slowly through the front door, his pink face burnt and shiny from a, a thousand fires and night ex excitements. God, thought Montag, how true. Always at night the alarm comes, never by day. Is it better... Because fire is prettier by night, more spectacle, a better show. The pink face of Beatty's, of Beatty now showed the f faintest panic in the door. The woman's hand twitched on a single match, but matchstick. The fumes of kerosene bloomed up around her. Montag felt the hidden book pound like a heart against his chest. Go on, said the woman, and Montag felt himself back away and out, away and out the door. After Beatty, down the steps across the lawn where the path of kerosene lay like a track of some evil snail. On the front porch where she had come to weigh them quietly with her eyes, her quietness and condemnation, the woman stood motionless. Beatty flicked his fingers to spark the kerosene. He was too late. Montag gasped. The woman on the porch reached out, reached out with con contempt to them all and struck the kitchen match against the railing. People ran out of the houses all down the street. So this woman has cared about so much. She cared enough about her books, enough about what she had done to be burned with them. She couldn't live without them. She burned herself. We got two more pages left. Well, a little more too. They said nothing on their way back to the firehouse. Nobody looked at anyone else. Montag sat in the front seat with Beatty and Black. They did not even smoke their pipes. They sat there looking out the front of the great salamander as they turned a corner and went silent on, silently on. Master Ridley, said Montag at last. What? said Beatty. She said Master Ridley. She said some crazy thing when we came in the door. Play the man, she said. Master Ridley, something, something, something. Uh, we shall this day light each such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust shall never be put out, said Beatty. Stoneman glanced over at the captain, and as did Montag, startled. Beatty rubbed his chin. A man named Latimer said that to a man named Nicholas Ridley as they were being burnt alive at Oxford for heresy on October 16th, 1555. Montag and Stoneman went back to looking at the street as it moved under the engine wheels. It's full of bits and pieces, said Beatty. Most fire captains have to be. I'm full of bits and pieces, said Beatty. Most fire captains have to be. Sometimes I surprise myself. Watch it, Stoneman. Stoneman braked the truck. Damn, said Beatty, you've gone right by the corner where the, we turned to the firehouse. Who is it? Oh, this is a different scene. Who is it? Who would it be, said Montag, leaning back against the closed door in the dark. His wife said at last, well, put on the light. I don't want the light. Come to bed. He heard her roll impatiently. The bed spring squealed. Are you drunk? She said. So it was the hand that started it all. 
He felt one hand, and then another, work his coat free and let it slump to the floor. He held his pants out into abyss and let them fall into darkness. His hands had been infected, and soon it would be his arms. He could feel the poison working his wrists and into his elbows and his shoulders. And then, like, then the jump over from shoulder blade to shoulder blade, like a spark leaping a gap. His hands were ravenous, and his eyes were beginning to feel hunger, as if they must look at something, anything, everything. So there goes his hands again, being the guilty ones doing something. His wife said, What are you doing? He balanced this in space with the book in his sweater, sweating cold fingers. A minute later, she said, Well, don't just stand there in the middle of the floor. He made a small sound. What? she asked. He made more sound, soft sounds. He stumbled toward the bed and shoved the book clumsily under the cold pillow. He fell into bed and his wife cried out, startled. He lay far across the room from her on a winter island, separated by an empty sea. Oh, so there they are again, their separate beds. She talked to him for what seemed like a long while, and she talked about this and she talked about that, and it was only words. Like the words he had heard once in the nursery at a friend's house. A two-year-old child building word patterns, talking jargon, making pretty sounds in the air. But Montag said nothing, and after a long while... When he made his may only made a small sounds, he felt her move in the room and come to his bed and stand over him, and put her hand down to to feel his cheek. He knew that was that when she pulled her hand away from his face, it was wet. All right, so Mildred can tell something is up, um, and this is interesting. So now we've got three things that have really affected Montag here, and this will be important for you later in your in your endeavors. Um, we have the Clarice asking if he's happy. We have Mildred almost dying, and now we have this woman willing to burn herself over books that is making Montag more and more curious about what's going on. All right, you guys are going to have a quiz and have your chapter or your part one questions due tomorrow. Um, so that's what I want you guys to work on is your part one questions, and that's what I got for you. I love you guys. See you later. <laughs>